Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome for today's episode of the Go for Leadership podcast. With me today is Katie Anderson. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here today. Go for Leadership interviews. Katie, and like always, we ask our guests to introduce themselves in 30 seconds. So time is ticking. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I'm Katie Anderson. I'm a leadership and learning coach who works with Uh, leaders, high performers, and continuous improvement coaches to move from doers to developers of people and how to continue to own their expertise while helping others grow, learn, and achieve their best selves as well. Um, and I'm just based in the San Francisco Bay Area and have lived in seven countries around the world. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So you have a lot of experience with, with leadership. And uh, I think for everybody, leadership has a different touch and it's so hard to really define it. How would you define leadership or what does leadership mean to you? That's a great question. And, and uh, I've really come to see leadership to represent three primary uh, roles. And, and I describe this in the book and I'll share uh, learning to lead, leading to learn. And I'm sure we'll dive into it more. But to boil it down, uh, a leader, the essence of leadership is to set clarity of direction and then provide the support to their people to achieve that, the goals and go in that direction, and all the while developing themselves to be the best leader in person that they can be. I like that. And, and in particular now in, in this uncertain times, it's so important to give guidance and orientation to, to our people. How would you recommend to, um, to, to leaders, even maybe young or not so experienced leaders, to give this, let's say, clarity on, on, on direction or, or orientation? Yeah, that's great. And I like that you're using the word orientation because it really is the sense of direction rather than what must be done. So it's about even if you don't have to happen, how can you get input and then make a decision about this is where we as a group or a team or as an organization need to orient all of our energy to problem solve and to work together to achieve, uh, to achieve it. And it's the same way I, you know, I like it to when you're going on a hike, you know, you don't want to just start the hike think being like, Oh, we'll just wander out into, you know, into the wilderness, not knowing where we're going. You do want to say on the map, like, okay, we're trying to get to here. Now you may not know exactly how you're going to get there, but at least you're aligning your efforts into moving towards that point. Is your I'm assuming you let it that part out. Are you okay? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Strange. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? So. Let me quickly. Um, So I can hear you now again. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Awesome, okay? perfect. So sorry. Okay. That's no worries. Um, do you want to do that question again so it's easier? Yeah, let, let's, ma let's maybe do that question again. Yes, sorry. Okay, no worries. So, okay, it's okay. Uh, perfect. 
<laughs> you know the answer uh, the the question again, right? Yeah, why don't you ask it again though cuz it'll be so, so I was asking um um how do you give orientation and, and set clarity for for your people to to uh, in particular in these difficult times mm-hmm. where it's so hard to um to overcome let's say this uncertainty and this different forces that is uh, impacting the teams or the organizations absolutely that's a great question and no matter we always have uncertainty no matter you know right now we're in a period of greater uncertainty than some other times yet being able to directionally say where we need to go is better than having no direction at all. And so what I encourage leaders to do and ourselves as well uh, is, is to, even if you don't have the specifics of exactly where you're, what, you know, the exact goal is or what um, exactly how you're going to get there to help orient and align people's efforts into, you know, we, we know we need to move towards a certain direction. And as we do that, we're going to learn and understand more. And of course, you're going to always over, you know, have barriers that come up or challenges and you're going to learn along the way, you know, it's, but it's how do we, how do we orient ourselves? Because otherwise we're putting our efforts into, you know, potentially efforts that are, you know, directionally um, opposed. And I liken it to, you know, when you go on a hike, you may not know exactly how you're going to get to a destination, but you know that you need to go up on the mountain to a certain point and you're going to navigate your, your way there uh, and you're going to learn along the way. I like that, um, um, in, in particular, the mountain uh, story, because it's, it's so, I mean, there has been many different visuals, right, uh, uh, in management, but I think the mountain, I always use them still back to the mountain example or the moon example as to how the, the humankind traveled to the moon. So we have a clear goal, but there are different ways to, to, to go for it. But how, uh, in particular, also, if you have setbacks or maybe also challenges on the way, how do you still uh, maintain this uh, continuous force uh, that let's let's stick to our goal? It's still the right goal to to achieve. That's great. There's a Japanese saying that in English is translated to "fall down seven times, get up eight. And uh, I'm really obsessed with these Japanese Daruma dolls. You uh, you can see me holding them up right mm-hmm. now. But if you go to my website, you can see many of them, and they represent having the tenacity and patience to fall down, but orient yourself and get up. And it's about the learning that we can do. And, uh, you know, learning isn't linear, nor is our progress towards goals. And it's about having that acceptance and awareness that we will fall down many times. But what's important is us continuing to get up and learning and adjusting. Um, You know, the, the foundation of the scientific method is the famous plan, do, study, adjust cycle, um, or plan, do, uh, yeah, plan, do, study, adjust, or plan, do, check, act. But I like to say that it's study, adjust, plan, do, because it's that reflection, the study, the learning from our mistakes and our failures uh, and the setbacks that allow us to actually adjust and continue to improve and go move forward with more success. And I think that the good thing of, of failure uh, as such is that uh, I think the learning experience is much more intense from a failure than from a, from a let's say, victory. At least in 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 my experience, uh, I think the 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 passion um, and the the feeling of having overcome a challenge time or having overcome a um, a problem is much more intense than it was a walk in the park, right? Well, and and also, I mean, if you think back to your own successes or 
usually it's not something that out of the gate one time that you had this tremendous success. Usually it is because you have been practicing and trying hard or having steps along the way, and you've probably had some setbacks and challenges on that, and you've been learning. So we often see a success, and you're, I'm using air quotes here, uh, and just see it as the outcome without recognizing that the process that led to the success was full of mistakes and failures in learning that of that person falling down seven times and getting up eight. And I like to talk about how, you know, yes, we want to go towards the outcome, like we want a successful outcome and achieve our goals. But what is more important is the process of getting there. And, you know, even if we ultimately fail in our goal, if we are looking at the process and seeing the journey as a learning experience, the next time we try something, we're going to be even more effective and we will probably see that success. And so uh, it's about the process, not just the outcome. And if we can shift our orientation um, on that, we will be more successful in the end because we will have learned more effectively. So um, I see in many organizations, there's a certain, at least let's say uh, the German culture is very, let's say, strong on that one. Let's say risk awareness and, and maybe mm. uh, be ashamed of failure. Mm. I think they are generalizing, of course, there are certain cultures which are much more open for, for failures. Um, so how do you... Um, How do you um, welcome people, let's say, to not to promote failure, but really to, to share their failures and their um, mis-successes in order to also share this learning experience to a broader audience? One of the biggest examples and people that I admire for sharing failure so much is actually the subject of my book, a Japanese man who worked at Toyota for 40 years. And, and the Japanese culture is not one in which failure... Uh, is you know, really embraced at the big level. Um, and the book actually talks about a lot of failures and especially at the end, a huge failure that he had on a, um, a big new business initiative. And I really appreciated how his vulnerability in sharing that experience with me and the world. Uh, what I've come to see though is, yes, we can see, I think it's the big failures that maybe are not as accepted, but how can we make um, sort of the smaller, smaller micro failures along the way, be really focused on learning so that it, the bigger failures, we're both then creating a culture um, and a and situation where we are more open to talking about failure or mistakes as a source of learning. Uh, and also, so there's not as much risk in the actual failure. So how are we seeing those sort of micro processes that we're learning from not have the same maybe potentially huge negative out outcome um, that's impacting many people are very serious. So I think in particular now also, I mean, we're still in, in COVID crisis, right? So there are, of course, many, many mistakes and failures to happen because, I mean, there's just not too much knowledge, let's say, to make uh, always the right decision. So... Um, I, I see there's a lot of, let's say, at least from, from senior leadership positions that I've worked with, um, it's, it's, it's really kind of hard for them to mention it. And I think one of the, the, the indicators that you gave is maybe not the, the big mistakes are so nice to share, but always the little steps that, that can show their, their way. So how do you, um, how would you um, enable in particular that you described that the process as such is so important, um, uh, a certain 
let's say, program or level for young leaders in particular to, to go on this learning journey, continuous learning journey? Because I, I saw a lot of young leaders in particular that, of course, they, they want to get the, the, the bigger team. They have a certain level of aspiration, but I think it's not so much about the, the ending point, like you described it. So it's a lot of about the process, right, to get prepared for the next level, to get prepared for the next leadership step. Hmm. You know, that's, that's a great question. And at the end of the day, it ultimately comes back to how each of us respond in situations where either we've made a mistake or experienced a failure or the people around us as well. Um, a few different recommendations or suggestions for how to start shifting your mindset is first, not focusing on the person, but really focusing on the process. Um, you know, it's so rare that someone is truly malintended. So trying to do something wrong or bad. So if we start with the assumption that people had good intentions and were trying to do something right, it can help us um, stop immediately going to blame. And maybe then we may have that reaction, but how can we check, check ourselves from expressing that reaction or, you know, pulling back and then asking about what happened in the process and to, to show up with genuine curiosity and asking open-ended questions. So not closed-ended questions like, um, you know, or, or even why questions that can sound blaming, like, why did you do that? But like, what, what happened in this process? You know, what steps did you take? Um, what are you learning? How can we pre prevent this in the future? So really asking those what and how open-ended questions to, with genuine curiosity to learn and help prevent it from the future. Um, so those would be my, my two biggest things is focus on the process and ask more questions that uh, come from a place of learning and wanting to be helpful rather than a place of blaming. Awesome. So you lived in so many countries um, and uh, I'm wondering, um, I mean, I, I have experienced also uh, with, with many countries in, on an international scale. So um, how was your experience working with leaders of, of such different cultures? Uh, do they have experienced certain differences or are they, let's say, better leaders in, in this world in different countries than yeah. in others? So a few of my experiences were more um, when I was in university or below, but I have lived and worked in um, several countries since university graduation. In particular, I lived in Australia for four years and Japan for almost two years um, and the UK as well. And, you know, my, and I've worked with, I work with leaders around the world now as well. I would say there are absolutely cultural differences in how people show up. However, the fundament, there's something fundamental about us as human beings. And if we kind of anchor on that, like generally most people want to do good in this world, want to help other people, um, and they may have learned some habits or actions through their culture that maybe don't align with that um, as easily um, or may inhibit them or the challenges they experience because of how they have been, uh, I guess, shaped by their culture. And this is, could be organizational culture too, uh, maybe blind spots for them. And so I, I think it's for all of us to just anchor back on that the uniting force of us as human beings and, and how can we um, all try and help each other be most effective and connect with our purpose and then align our actions. And that's what I call about living and leading with intention about how do we understand our, 
what's important to us as humans uh, and as individual people and as leaders, and then how, what is most effective in terms of how we show up to fulfill that purpose. And no matter what culture I'm in, generally people want to connect with other people. They want to help create, you know, good, positive cultures in their organization. They want to achieve, you know, business success and provide value to their customers. And so if we can anchor on those uniting principles, then the rest doesn't really matter so much. Um, and we can learn from each other as well um, and how to, how to, I guess, be, become more of a global, <laughs> a global culture as well. I, I love I love that attitude, uh, and as, as uh, I mean, I'm I'm completely um, agreeing what you have just said. So I think there is, of course, of course there are certain let's say um, uh, bias, but at the end uh, we are one humankind. So and, and I think that's important to always remember. It's one small little planet uh, on on this universe, so it's important that that we bring that together. Totally, and you know, there's absolutely there are cultural differences, and it's important to recognize that you know. When I lived in Japan, uh, you know, a few years ago, I, I learned to be very comfortable in sitting with silence because they're culturally much more uh, just comfortable with having long pauses in conversations. And as a Westerner, and especially as an American, I would want to fill that, like jump in and fill that silence, yet, you know, to be okay and know that that is just a natural part of how they communicate. And so it's, it's important to have awareness of sort of what the cultural norms are. And so you're also not being rude yet at the same level, the fundamental point people, you know, would say like, how do I come go to Japan and travel and be, you know, be polite and said, at the end of the day, have a smile, treat people with respect and you're going to be just fine. I, I think that's that's an important uh, <clears throat> resume, let's say, in particular on this uh, intercultural aspect of diversity. Now, also maybe touch-basing, um, um, let's say, different kind of diversities. I think it's always important, like you said. Uh, and, and here it comes more important, this way of orientation and guidance to put all the different forces that you have in a team, be it, let's say, uh, cultural diversity, being gender diversity, being whatever diversity is currently in, in the team, uh, to bring those, let's say, different aspects together. But how do you do that now also on an intercultural basis? So how do you use the different cultures to, to orient them into towards one direction? That's a great question. I have a, <laughs> I'd love to ask you that as well. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, and that's a very uh, British saying too, at the end of the, end of the day, um, it's about getting alignment on a shared purpose. And I think if we can start off with having some alignment on shared purpose, or at least an understanding of what, the purposes for our group or our team or even our that meeting, then people can or, orient themselves in that direction um, as well. And they may show up in different ways. Another great way is to just be explicit about establishing, like talking about what are our norms or our expectations for how we will communicate in this meeting or a team, especially if you have people coming from many different cultures um, so that, there's, you know, there's an opportunity to have, at least have a shared understanding of what's our cultural norm for this group or team, even if we all come from different backgrounds. And again, it's not just uh, country cultures too. It's people who work in different industries have been accustomed to different styles or even different organizations. So having that made explicit and having put on the table, making it visible, making those invisible things visible is how we can come together more effectively. 
I like that a lot because I think, uh, like you said, this is uh, applicable for many different situations. Not not only, let's say, in an international setting, it, it can be in, in different, let's say, settings being used uh, to agree on certain norms um, in order to, let's say, start working, collaborating together. I think it makes a group much more effective. Um, Katie, let's maybe uh, also um, uh, get, let's say, back in 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 uh, and jump to the topic again to the learning. So, um, for for the um, for the universities and preparing, let's say, our young leaders, where do you see still ways for for improvement in order to prepare them for this? very demanding, let's say, task um, that, that we have now, um, let's say, uh, yeah, uncertain times, uh, different, let's say, demands, uh, higher demands maybe than, than, than before. How do you think uh, we can prepare the, the next generation of leaders the, the best way? That's a great question, one that I have not been asked uh, before. And I think it goes back to just how, in general, can we all improve as leaders, no matter where we are in our leadership learning journey, uh, is about how can we ask more questions. Not um, we, are, um, we are rewarded, especially through our education system, for being the one having the right answer. So becoming the expert or being right. And we forget how to ask questions. And so the more we can cultivate uh, a habit of asking more questions and not those, you know, leading questions, but those questions, as I talked about earlier, those genuine inquiry questions, starting with what or how in all environments in fostering and coming out with a, with an intention to hear other people's thinking, that is what's going to be the, I think the fundamental shift that we all need to be making and the more we can cultivate that in our um, emerging leaders and upcoming next generation, the deeper thinking we're going to have as a whole and uh, the more successful we will as a, a society and a global society be at um, solving the, un, you know, the unanticipated challenges that come, come in the future. Perfect. Kitty, uh, like always, we also ask uh, our interview guests a question. What do you have told the uh, younger Katie um, mm. starting her career um, and becoming the leader she is now? So I started my career uh, thinking that I was going to be a university professor and a researcher. And I actually feel like I've come a bit full circle in that, you know, with the writing of my book, it was a lot of years of research and, and, and writing and elements of academia that I really enjoyed. What I would say to myself is to know that you're, you may not know where you're actually going to end. Um, and I certainly don't know where I'm going to end. I'm, you know, my mid-career now, I, who, I, I'm sure I'll have some more, more turns. But to continue to pay attention to the things that really... Um, ignite joy for yourself and um, to continue to follow that path and be willing to take, um, make changes and pivots. And I've certainly done that in my own career a few times as well. Uh, but to know that that's natural and part of what's going to happen and just to uh, hold, try and try and piece together the parts that give you joy and light you up and how can you find more of that and navigate your career journey. And that what you think at 22 may not be where you end up um, in your mid-40s, and that's, uh, that's great. 
Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. I love that and I love your passion for, for learning. I think you demonstrate that uh, as well um, um, in, in, in the book and in what you have just outlined. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Katie. Thank you so much as well, Danny. Go for Leadership, the podcast.